0: Hi gang, Room Audio Sophia here with a quick disclaimer that I am a PhD, not a medical doctor. While I know a lot about medical stuff, nothing within this podcast is medical advice. So if you've got questions, concerns, something you're worried about, see a medical professional.
1: Thanks and stay safe.
0: welcome to things of interest i'm sophia French,
1: and i'm serena chen
0: and this week we're going to be talking to you about vaccines everyone's chatting about vaccines again it's so exciting we always have like a big uptick in vaccine chat every year when the flu vaccine comes out certainly around our workplaces but mm-hmm. obviously with the current global pandemic and the vaccines that have come out from Pfizer and BioNTech and AstraZeneca, vaccines are on the tip of people's tongues all over again. I personally had the wonderful experience of going on a date last year with a gentleman who said, the vaccines are well and good, but my problem is how they're going to microchip us. So that was... <laughs> I mean, honestly, like the red flag was when he asked why I moved to Melbourne and I described my PhD and he said, I don't really believe in mainstream science. So I don't really know what else I expected from that conversation. (laughs) So what we're going to do is I'm going to chat a bit about vaccines. It always feels weird not throwing to you immediately, Serena, but this is just my
1: field. Yeah, please. No, this is the reason. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to chat
0: about vaccines and then I'm going to continue to talk. And every self so and Serena will come in with questions or good viewpoints.
1: I'm gonna relate just a spoiler alert, I'm probably going to relate everything to computers and code because that's the closest analogy that I can find to mm. a field that I work in. And I've found that it the analogies line up in my view at least pretty well. But yeah, please keep going. Cool. So vaccines
0: and immunization now can kind of been used interchangeably. The vaccine, when you're vaccinated, that's the experience of getting a shot usually in your arm. When you're a wee baby, it's in your butt. For certain diseases like, I think, typhus, you'll take pills and those will immunize you against a disease. They used to mean different things in the lay sense, like when people just say words, they don't really. So I can't be bothered with that. Basically, like the first time that we kind of realized that, you know, sometimes if you had a disease, you didn't get it again. And it didn't even have to be the same disease was when smallpox was a big deal. So smallpox used to be the disease, right? It was a thing that killed people. And if it didn't kill you, it would typically scar you for life. So like there are smallpox scars on mummies from ancient Egypt that were found. Smallpox is one of the very few diseases we've managed to completely eradicate because it was a virus that was only ever found in humans. And the first step on the pathway to doing this was they'd try inoculation against smallpox, which is when you get smallpox scabs and you kind of grind them up really firm and you cut someone's skin and put the smallpox scabs in it. Mm. And sometimes this inoculated people from smallpox, sometimes they got a mild version of smallpox, sometimes they just got smallpox. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So, you know, sometimes you just get the disease and then you might die. Okay, that's not awesome. That's been around for a really, really long time. So smallpox inoculation, we have evidence from, like, the 1500s in China. In Europe, probably around the 1700s-ish is when they started adopting the practice. But in the late 1700s, uh, this guy, Edward Jenner, noticed that milkmaids weren't getting smallpox. They just, like, did not get it at all. And he kind of put the bits together in that, like, milkmaids will typically get a separate and much less bad and deadly disease called cowpox, which would cause like sores on their hands. And it was kind of related to the work they did with the cows. I I think they got it through milking or something. I don't know.
1: Save the And so
0: he started testing this, I think first on his own children and then on incarcerated criminals who couldn't meaningfully consent to it. So cool. Good history of medicine. We have there. shame if terrible things happen to it. That was kind of like the first, inoculation like that was the beginning of vaccination immunization using things that weren't the disease itself to help you not get the disease in the future it's generally the idea behind all of it in the years following like the development of proper smallpox um, vaccines a lot of other vaccines were developed so smallpox was like beginning of the 1800s and then people were like hey this could work for a bunch of other stuff and so they started trying to do this this was also in the area that a lot of antibiotics were discovered. So it was very exciting time to be in science because you were like, maybe we'll cure all diseases. Mm. In hindsight, that didn't work. <laughs> so a lot of the time, what a vaccine does now is instead of giving you a related, but different disease, and you just get to be sick with this other disease for a while, we'll typically give you like dead bits of the disease, right? So you're, mm measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine, your flu vaccine, a lot of the time that will include just like a bit on the outside of the thing that is giving you disease. So if you think about viruses, it's like we've got an inside and an outside, the outside bit is what our cells see. You give that to a person and you kind of like indicate it to the body that it's a dangerous thing, then the body goes, ah, oh, cool, next time I see it, that'll die real fast. Mm-hmm i'm trying to organize my thoughts now there's a lot it's a huge field yeah (laughs) complexity as well yeah the other way that we can vaccinate people is by using an attenuated version of the disease so instead of having just like a dead bit of a virus you get like a virus that's just like it can't replicate so you take out the bit that can replicate and you're like here's a virus this is what it looks like next time it's here like Kill it.
1: Kill it real fast.
0: This occasionally backfires, so there's been like ongoing attempts to create a dengue vaccine. Mm-hmm. Dengue fever is a disease carried by mosquitoes. It has the really horrible thing where if you get it once, you'll generally get pretty sick. You might die. If you get it additional times, you're much, much more likely to get a form of dengue fever that is called dengue hemorrhagic fever, which is Uh-oh. when you bleed and die. So... That's mm. and attempts to vaccinate have resulted in people's infection subsequent infection with dengue fever. This is typically done with American military, in that they just get the dengue hemorrhagic fever. So essentially, their body's acting like it's already been infected once. So little vaccines work. Sometimes mm. they go terribly wrong. Mm-hmm. So when it go- comes to like vaccines today, we're trying really hard to move away from having like an attenuated version of the virus or virus or bacteria and more towards just having like dead bits of virus or bacteria. The idea behind that is is that like while it's incredibly unlikely to make you sick, if you're immunocompromised and that's not known, for example, some people aren't born with spleens or have damaged spleens that we don't know about particularly for vaccines that happen early on in childhood may have an immunodeficiency that hasn't been noticed yet that can cause still cause danger, right? Either in the sense mm-hmm. that like they could develop a form of the disease or their immune system could overreact. Mm-hmm. That's also why when you get vaccines now, if you're traveling or you're getting a your flu vaccine, or I presume when you're getting the coronavirus vaccine, your doctors will be like, Hey, stick around for like 20 minutes. Yeah, just just hang out for like twenty minutes, and that's because like if you're going to have an anaphylactic reaction, it will happen in that time period, and that's the really really dangerous
1: response you can get to vaccines. Okay, questions. That that was a perfect and incredibly effective summary of the the history and the the general uh, workings of how how vaccines work. What I am. Oh, Super, oh one thing mm-hmm. sorry um, yeah go for it so in your in your country of
0: residence of growing upness you will have a vaccine schedule that will say yes. like have these particular vaccines at these particular times
1: mm-hmm.
0: sometimes stuff's added to that i had chicken pox <laughs> when i was sort of three or four and now kids will get yeah. a chicken pox vaccine and they don't get chickenpox. and you might look at that and go like well yeah. chickenpox isn't that bad like i don't really care
1: shingles though yeah
0: so similar to something like measles where like measles generally like does not kill people they like get a rash and then they kind of get better it is bad enough for enough people that we don't want them to get it we don't want anyone to get it and it like absolutely will kill like immunocompromised people
1: yeah doesn't measles like wipe out your immune system memory it can yeah that's That's the scary thing about measles, apart from, you know, killing babies.
0: It's something like around one in a thousand people will get like meningitis through measles, Mm
1: -hmm. but
0: like 6% will get like pneumonia relating to the measles, which can cause death, right? Mm. And it's been a similar approach, right? There was enough burden on the healthcare system that like you want to prevent people from getting it yeah chicken pox particularly if you don't get it as a child can be really severe when you get it as an adult and mm. i and i don't know did you get chickenpox as a kid serena yeah I yeah did. so we've now just got like chicken pox virus just hanging out yeah just in our spinal column just having a good time i think it's varicella zoster
1: i'm so mad i'm so mad that like the chicken pox vaccine didn't come out and get added to the schedule when we were children. There is
0: now a vaccine you can get, I think, if you're over 60 for shingles. Oh. Which will, like, help prevent it from, like, breaking back out again because old people are most at risk of shingles as their immune system kind of gets old. mm Sorry, you had a question.
1: (laughs) No, I've forgotten about it completely. (laughs) I'm too excited. let's Let's just keep, yeah, let's just... Keep riffing.
0: The other thing with vaccination schedules is over time, they'll be adjusted, right? So like measles, Mm. mumps, and rubella used to be separate vaccines. DPT, which is diphtheria, pertussis, and typhoid, I think, they used to be separate vaccines as well. As we get better at making vaccines, better at understanding how different vaccines interact, at understanding how the body responds to them, like what we need to do in order to like illicit memory in your immune system we can start combining those and changing that schedule so if you're a bit older or even like shit our age and you look at the schedule now you might be like oh like they're combining a few more than they did when i was a kid and in my case be kind of mad because i hated needles (laughs) um (laughs) so it's like oh i didn't need to get that many shots well get out of here
1: (laughs) good for good for all the kids these days though that's good yeah
0: like it's it's Fine, right? Like, it's medical research and medical science updates as we get more information, and that is entirely how it should be. Yeah. And it's always nice to see that, like, flowing through to public health advice. God, I love vaccines. I always feel so powerful after I get my flu shot.
1: Oh, my gosh. We are... You know how, like, tech bros talk about body hacking and they talk about, like, fucking putting RFID chips into into their hands and stuff? Like, vaccinations are literal body hacking. We are literally... Sending code to our immune system and being like, execute this. Um, I think about it this. like
0: if you go into like a, a dairy or a 2-4 or if you're in Australia or Seven Eleven and they have up those signs of like these people have stolen from us and like the photos. That's <laughs> yeah. basically what vaccines are doing. They're just like showing your immune system a photo and being like, no, incorrect. No, not, not this guy. <laughs> yeah. If you see them,
1: arrest them and kill them. (laughs) Arrest them immediately.
0: So then we now have some really promising and, you know, approved in many countries, coronavirus vaccines, COVID-19 vaccines. There are a few different types that have been approved. They have different sort of protection rates associated with them. So I believe the BioNTech is 95%. 95 And AstraZeneca is 70-ish in current studies. 95 god that's it's good. so ridiculous mm. if i had a 95 percent success rate with my life like i would be a lot richer right like you know yeah
1: <laughs> i remember um before they like came out with these oh like mid last year and you were hearing about about like nation health organizations and they would be like look we will accept a vaccine if it surpasses 50 percent efficacy and you're like, cool, if we can cut transmission or like severe disease down by 50%, that's going to do a huge amount to... And then they just like swing on up on the world stage, be like, hey, everybody. Oh, How, how's 90? How's
0: refugees.
1: 90 for y'all? Mm. 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 Oh, so anyway,
0: the I mean, obviously this is exciting because it's going to help us curb like the current global pandemic, but the other reason it's really exciting is that certainly the Pfizer-BioNTech, I should check
1: what the AstraZeneca one is. is Uh, No, I think it's the Moderna and the... Yeah, those are the mRNA ones.
0: Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. It's an entirely new type of vaccine, which is just, like, so cool. And I really... Keep listening. Don't hear the words entirely new type of vaccine and be like, oh, scary, I'm hanging up.
1: No, no, no. extremely cool. It's
0: fine. We've (laughs) been trying... We've been working, like to an extent, on creating an mRNA vaccine for, like, 30 years, right? Mm -hmm. Because what we currently do is we take bits of the virus or bits of the bacteria or sometimes, if you're really unlucky, bits of the, like, little worm that gives you an infection. (laughs) Oh, I hate plasmodium. That's stuff like malaria. Mm -hmm. Instead of doing that and, like, maybe causing an allergic response, maybe causing some other kind of, like, immune response that isn't technically an allergy but is still really bad for you, instead of that, we're now giving your body a little bit of the code to make the thing that surrounds the virus, and your body will just be, like, not allergic to a thing it makes itself, usually, unless you have an, like, immune disorder, in which case, like, we already know because you're allergic to yourself and we would have picked up on that by now. (laughs) I have a lot of thoughts about the immune system and I want to say all of them.
1: Yeah. From, like, what I'm looking at it, how I understand it to be, is that, like, giving a dead version of a virus, and, like, we should probably emphasise that the, the vaccine's that are using the the current technology of giving you like a dead version of the virus is actually extremely safe and allergic reactions are very, very, very rare. Uh, So you should totally still get your flu shots every single year, boom. But I I kind of see it as like shining a torch onto, I don't know, the (laughs) the wanted poster for the virus and like, you know, spotting the virus with the torch and the mRNA one is like shining a laser pointer. It is just, it is extremely, extremely, and it's so freaking cool. Please, please keep going because I'm loving it's, all of this.
0: It's specific, it's easier to update,
1: mm-hmm. it's programmable. You can
0: patch your vaccines a lot more readily. Yeah. That's <laughs> the thing that
1: blows my mind. It is programmable. Like, we can print off essentially these RNA. It, yes. That's so freaking cool. <laughs>
0: I I love how excited you are about this, because I'm like, of course you can print off. Like, it's a pain (laughs) in the ass, but of course you can. (laughs) So, the way cells work Mm. is inside Mm -hmm. each of your cells, you've got some stuff called DNA. That is your genome. It makes all the code that makes you who you are, plus your environment a little bit. Mm -hmm. Every living thing has that. Are viruses living? Maybe. Maybe not. Some viruses don't have DNA. Mm -hmm. They have a different kind of, like, set of code called RNA. RNA is a little bit less stable. That's why these vaccines need a um, super cool chain. So you might have heard people talking about, like, you know, the fact that these guys need to be stored at minus 80, like it means they're not super good for, I don't know, all of Africa. (laughs) Oh, we can't transport it really far or, like, make it in heaps of places. Oh, whoops. Guess, like, the global poor is fucked. And so in, in our cells, in our little human cells, the DNA encodes lots of different things called proteins. and proteins make up your hair and your nails, and every little thing that like creates your body is a protein. Like it's just a little building block of stuff. like it's what we actually use to form ourselves out of. Whereas the mm-hmm. DNA is like the plan for that. And the RNA mm-hmm. is a bit in between. The RNA goes to the DNA and goes like, "Hey, what's up?" And the DNA goes, "Please build this." And the RNA goes out from where the DNA is, the nucleus it out to the cell and goes like we're gonna build this now the like quote-unquote reason for that like there's a lot of evolutionary theory we could go into but like generally the accepted reason for that is that dna is like we want it to be really accurate (laughs) yeah pretty important for the dna to consistently be the same and if we were like unlooping it and making proteins off it all the time that would expose it to a lot of damage and a lot of risk for mutations and so instead we have like this sort of tracing paper version of RNA which can just kind of go between the DNA without like damaging it too much and kind of keeping it mostly spooled up and then go out and then make lots of copies of protein if there needs to be lots of copies or only a few if there only need to be a few and then it gets destroyed afterwards
1: I think about this, like, so with computers and computer programs, these like executable binaries, they sit in like your hard drive, right? In flash storage. And when you run a program, it doesn't just run off the flash storage. You have to make a copy into RAM, into working memory. And it's like the exact same idea is that like, if you keep executing off of Flash storage, it's, it's like hard to get to, it's very stable, right? And it's, it's very good against protecting from errors, but it's very slow. But then you make a copy, you put it into RAM and suddenly like everything becomes very accessible, it's very fast, but it's also very fragile and it's prone to damage, which is fine if you're just like, you know, it's in, it's in working memory. Mm. And this blows my mind so much because. Computers are a thing that, like, we built and we thought about, you know, if we, like, reasoned through. And in our bodies every single day, we have these mechanisms. Like, we have error correcting in our DNA. That's mind-blowing to me. Like, you know, the DNA two-strand yeah. thing and how one base always connects to one other base and not just, like, any other base. So you basically have, like, two copies in one strand uh, – in one bit of DNA – which means that you have inherent error correction. So if one of those bases gets changed, you can tell that it doesn't match with the other one, and then, like the the thing reading the DNA can be like, "Whoa, nah, I don't like this. Delete this. Get rid of this." That is freaking mind blowing to me. This is like in our bodies. I'm sorry, I'm just having a moment. I'm gonna have the okay. little moments.
0: When when <laughs> DNA is being replicated, there's like specific proteins that like go across and like check for errors.
1: So cool. Yeah. <laughs> Just And like the fact that that these, these processes, these like these copiers, the, the proteins that check for errors, the fact that these are all folded up molecules that are essentially swimming in this molecule soup, bumping around each other randomly in Brownian motion. And that's not not necessarily true but like you know how it's mostly a random process and then they by the sheer affinity of the different molecules they like latch on in the right places and then like carry out their process that's
0: yeah I mean your your cells I would be very hesitant to say a huge amount of things on a biological level happen randomly like we usually say that things are random or stochastic when we don't know what's causing them but there's probably something causing them Right. So there'll be things like chemical gradients or acid-base gradients. Mm. And there's a lot of like, your cells all have like a little skeleton holding them up. That's why your body has a shape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's really no other way to put that. And those skeletons help arrange everything and like make sure the proteins that need to be in one place are in a particular place. There's some proteins that have like one side that's hydrophobic, so doesn't like water, mm. and one side that's hyperphilic, so likes watery stuff and that's what your cell membranes are made of is like one end is like heck yeah water and the other end is like no 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 let's find a safe place (laughs) and they kind of like snap together like that so really like i think a good analogy for things like that is just like they're like magnets Yeah, magnets just kind of snap together when you put them near each other just
1: kind of what a bunch of stuff in our cells does so cool so, so freaking cool. Anyway, so we were talking about, about how RNA is like a working copy that gets yeah. sent out of the nucleus to be then made into executed, programs. essentially.
0: Yeah. yeah, Executed.
1: Yes. <laughs> in the program way, not in the yeah, yeah, like, yeah. kill way.
0: <laughs> I got you, I got you. And so like using RNA to sort of <clears throat> make cells make stuff has happened a bit. Molecular biology. RNA is like quite, because it's quite fragile, it usually needs to be stored very cold. It's kind of just a pain in the ass. A lot of the time, like in my lab work and a lot of people's lab work, they'll probably use DNA. So they'll just like temporarily give a cell a bit of extra DNA and just be like, go for gold. Problem <laughs> is, when you like want something to work in human subjects, you can't just be like, I don't know, have some extra DNA. Like, let's see how it goes.
1: Because
0: mm. that can cancer. That can cancer very easily. <laughs> When it comes to just, like, putting DNA in your blood, not a huge amount of risk associated with that. When it comes to putting DNA in your blood that's specifically tagged to be taken up by cells and then transcribed, there is a lot of risk associated with that. So, you know, if you're getting a vaccine and the vaccine is DNA-based, which it may be for some viruses, then, like, absolutely no risk associated with that. If we were to say, like, this is basically gene therapy, but a vaccine, there's be it would take longer shall we say Mm. so mrna is actually like the really good way to kind of find the middle ground when it comes to vaccines because it doesn't last very long like you know your cell will make a few copies and then there are particular tags you can put on the beginning and the end of the mrna that tells it like how many copies to make and when it should get digested so cool it can't really integrate into anything like it won't touch your dna probably and yeah it's gets your cells to make a bunch of the copies of the spike protein in the COVID-19 case. The cells put those on the outside. Your immune system goes, well, what the fuck are those? (laughs) You those cells a few times and then it's like, cool, so those are bad, those are evil, got it. And then as soon as you get a COVID-19 infection, like usually the infection will land a bit, right? Like this is how the flu vaccine works. The infection will land a bit, but it, it basically gets destroyed before you even notice that
1: you've had an infection. Mm. That is really cool. I also, so I read a really cool blog post, which you might be able to tell from like me linking everything back to um, <laughs> to computing analogies. And it's this blog post that's like titled like reverse engineering the mRNA vaccine, where they look at the the source code for the mRNA vaccine and break it down and kind of explain in in terms what each bits of the source code do. And one part that I found really, really interesting and really cool was that all of the, all of the U's I think, because it's RNA, were replaced by the symbol, the psi symbol. Mm. And they explained that it was because we were using a, a modified version of that base because they found out that by using this modified version, it gets through our like our own body's you know, firewall, antivirus. Yeah. The uh, the original, <laughs> the original firewall. I
0: mean, the fevers, the original firewall, probably just the yes. original antivirus. <laughs> <laughs> yes.
1: But it it gets through that because our our bodies just see it and they're like, cool, whatever. Whereas when our bodies see the the usual like you base then they're like whoa 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 hang on hang on hang on this looks like foreign code and I'm not going to do anything I'm going to destroy it which is literally how hacking works like it's literally how how we break into computers we send them corrupted data basically or like a like a different version of the data that they're not expecting and so if they're not expecting to see it it gets through the computer's defenses, and then it gets executed upon. And it's like, holy shit, this is like exactly the same idea, exactly the same, and we're now using it to to stop a pandemic. That's, <laughs> that's pretty incredible. Yeah, that was very cool.
0: Oh, one of the things I did want to touch on is I think a lot mm. of people have – I mean, fair enough, given the information that a lot of people have around vaccines, express concern at how fast these were developed.
1: Oh, yeah. Mm. There are a
0: couple of elements to that. Firstly, that like we've been working on various types of coronavirus vaccines for a while. So since the SARS outbreak, there have been like various attempts to develop a coronavirus vaccine. While this is a new type of coronavirus, there was some work that had gone into this already. Mm. The other element being like when it comes to mRNA vaccines, as I said, we've been working on that for like 30 years Just trying to get the technology good. But mostly it's happened quickly because all the bureaucracies got out of the way. And when I say bureaucracy, I don't mean safety testing. I mean bullshit like writing grants to be like, please let us make a vaccine that will save lives. And then, you know, policymakers are like, I don't know. Do you really need to save (laughs) lives, though? Like, is it more important than, Mm. like, this other research? I just, I don't know.
1: We should decrease
0: medical funding next year. Yeah. So there was just, like, basically there was money, there was, like, agreement that this was our priority and there was an ability to, like, get people for trials quickly and easily, and that meant yeah. instead of taking 10 years to develop a vaccine, it took, shit, like, a year, six months, like, eight months.
1: Yeah. yeah. It's incredible. It blows my mind how much, how much humanity is capable of if we just prioritised it. Hmm.
0: It's hard when you work in medical research a lot of the time because, like, all of the work is valuable, right? Like, I mean, certainly I worked in pediatrics the time that I was in medical research, so you can't really turn around and be like, these children do not deserve to live or have quality of life, whereas these children do. And yet that's what people who make decisions on grants decide every year. Mm. It's really – it's a question of funding, right? Like, there needs to be more money in medical research, Because if we don't have that money in medical research, then people are going to suffer unnecessarily, die unnecessarily. And also, like, the economy will be bad, probably. I don't know. It's Mm. (laughs) it's that, like, shitty argument you have to make when you're, like, talking to policymakers and lawmakers where you're like, you know, there's harm, there's suffering, this is really bad. Also, there'll Mm. be a burden on the healthcare system and they won't be able to contribute to the economy. So can you let me do the thing
1: now? It is it is quite disappointing how how often we have to frame all of these arguments in terms of this m- mythical worshiped economy and what's even more frustrating is that the knowledge that we have more than enough money and resource to cuz the thing is like these grants for research and funding for healthcare often come up against and compete with funding for like infrastructure and education and other things that like are really genuinely things that we all need. And the thing that's disappointing is that these things never seem to... has <laughs> just linked me to a Twitter account that's like, is this the has been Jeff Bezos um decided to end world hunger yet and it's just no is that the account yeah <laughs>
0: yeah so i mean there's like there's some good political commentary around like you know why we worship billionaires and why like we seem to think that someone who earns like 400 million dollars an hour like actually earns that wage but also like every day there's a tweet that says <laughs> Jeff Bezos has decided he will not end world hunger today
1: pretty much and that's what i was trying to get at before which is just like all of these crucial things, medicine, healthcare, education, infrastructure, all of these are vying for the same small and ever-decreasing pot of money when we have this like huge pot of money, which is in like the hands of 20 people. And we're not vying for that pot at all. And it's just baffling that we could
0: <laughs> basically. I'm just sending Serena, like, Twitter accounts that do a bunch of maths around billionaires,
1: specifically Jeff Bezos. It's baffling. It's baffling. Eat the rich. Wheel out the gu- guillotines. I don't care. Like, I'm not saying we all have to kill billionaires. I'm just saying, let's take their money.
0: Yeah. We don't even have to take all their money. There's been, like, a bunch of people who've done the math around, like, if we took all of the billionaires down to $1 billion and, like, $1 billion or something like that, we'd still have enough yeah. money to, like, just make the world an objectively better place. But money's exactly made, you know? Like, what are we
1: going to do? So does that mean it's easy to take, then? Because, damn. At that point, I feel like if someone took the majority of your wealth, like, if someone took you down, let's say $10 billion. God, these are numbers that, like, we can't even... As human beings, we can't even conceptualise. Hmm. And if someone took all that money away from him, he wouldn't... <sighs> so, here's some, here's some fun numbers. In 1980,
0: 2.6 million people died of measles. In 1990, that had gone down to a fifth of the number. So it was 545,000 people had died. And by 2014... Deaths from measles mm-hmm. had gone down to 73,000 people. That's such a decrease in, pe- like, you know, vaccine-preventable deaths. Despite these trends, yeah. rates of disease and deaths increased mm. from 2017 to 2019 due to a decrease in vaccination. Yeah. <sighs> so, I just put a couple of hard truths about vaccinations and... A little bit about the coronavirus vaccine as well. It doesn't Mm -hmm. include a microchip. Have you seen how big microchips are? It's definitely not there. Follow-up point. If you or Mm -hmm. anyone in your life is not convinced by the fact that microchips are surprisingly big for something that's called a microchip, do you genuinely think that this government is organized enough to do a conspiracy like this? Like, at every level, and no (laughs) one's leaked anything. Like, do you genuinely think every state employee is that competent? And it's fine if you do, but that is such a tenuous thing to believe. (sighs) This was the point where the very bad date I was on faltered slightly because he was like, oh, yeah, the Australian government's in on it. And I'm like, Scott Morrison.
1: Scott Morrison is this together. But also, like, just thinking about everyone in the chain who is paid what they're paid to keep something like that a secret. It's just, I don't believe it. People paid much more than government workers have leaked less incendiary, incendiary things all the time.
0: Oh, just like dipshits in Canberra have just fully left like documents about people on the seats of their cars that have then been broken into. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> they're not going to keep this quiet. Yeah. If you're worried about vaccines, and... If you're worried about any vaccine at all, like talk to your healthcare provider about it. Talk to someone that you trust about it because they will be able to say like, yes, I see why you're worried. Get it done at the hospital or like I can be there when it gets done if you want that. I think a lot of people are concerned because for a very long time, a lot of vaccines had egg as part of the binding agent. Mm. And so people who hadn't been like diagnosed with an egg allergy did have quite serious reactions to vaccines and those are people kind of our age and a bit older and i think that's very fair to be afraid of but if you talk to your doctor or a nurse who's involved in your treatment or any member of your medical treating team like they will be able to tell you like the risks associated with it the other thing is that a lot of the anti-vaxxer scandal bullshit includes stuff about how there's formaldehyde and mercury in vaccines there's less formaldehyde and mercury in, in a vaccine than there is in your sushi like, there's yeah, more mercury in all salmon.
1: Food safety could be better.
0: <laughs> every vaccine you've ever had. Yeah, well, I mean, we could have polluted the oceans less, like, let's be honest. Yeah.
1: So what I worry about with the... What we say to everyone, and this is what everyone hears, right, is at the end of the day, talk to your doctor, talk to the people that you trust, yeah. talk, to, talk to the nurse that you know. And the worry is... With specifically with the anti-vax crowd and with the like general conspiracy theory crowd, is that the people they trust are specifically not healthcare workers. They actively distrust doctors, and the people that they, they do trust are deeply embedded in these conspiracy theories. And yeah, I'm I'm just not sure how I think
0: I. Th- I think in those situations, you have to ask, like, quite genuinely, like, why someone is afraid, why they don't trust the medical system. Because, I mean, I think with the coronavirus vaccine, we see a lot of distrust from communities that have been historically marginalized by the medical systems. And it's like, that's fair. Like, it's fair if you're an Indigenous Australian and you don't trust this vaccine. That reflects your entire, like, people's history of engagement with Western medicine. Mm -hmm. It's fair if you're black in America and you don't trust the coronavirus vaccine because the Tuskegee syphilis experiment, I think, was trying to tell people that they were treating syphilis when they were actually giving it to them. Yeah. Right? Like, very legit. Do your best to find someone that you trust in those circumstances and the instances that you're afraid. Like, I mean, I think this is something to call out to, you know, medical professionals as much as anyone else like people are afraid right like that's why they don't trust Mm -hmm. it and often they're afraid for reasons that are legitimate given the information that Mm -hmm. they have and i think we really need to be more sympathetic to that i see far too many people who are just like overeducated inner city bullshit liberals (laughs) who are so willing to go like oh they're not vaccinating their kids they must be dumb yeah
1: it's it's like well
0: no (laughs) like i think a lot of the time When I have conversations with people who may not be totally trusting of vaccines, bad date notwithstanding, (laughs) a big fear around the MMR vaccine is that there was a lot of advertisement around the idea that this vaccine causes autism. Now that study has been fully retracted by the guy who wrote it. Like he admitted that he fudged his numbers. But the other thing, and the really key thing to this is like, would you rather your child die than have autism? Like, really? (laughs) And something I found, like, really compelling to talk about is, like, I think people think of autism and they think of, like, the most severe worst case scenarios. And those are, you know, still beautiful people who deserve our love and affection. But I think it's something that as a parent, you want to alleviate your child of any suffering that you Mm -hmm. possibly can. And, like, I completely, not being a parent as much as I can, I completely understand that. But I think, you know, when I talk to someone and I say, like, hey, like, I'm autistic, and it's chill. Like I have a good time, mostly. There's been a pandemic. It's been pretty hard the last year. But, you know, aside from that, having a great time. That's a better conversation to Mm. have than to be like, oh, you must be stupid. Oh, haven't you read this? Oh, haven't you considered this? It's to be like, well, look, like, your fear is someone like me. And I'm pretty rad. (laughs) I got an award this like last year for being really good at being a gay. Me. Like <laughs> thirty under thirty media luminary, Sophia friends. Um, yeah, like it's it's about understanding fear and it's about understanding that hesitation and not shutting down the conversation because, like, you know, shit. I understand why people are emotional about any kind of medical treatment that goes on in their families. I understand why they want Mm. to protect their kids, but it's about making sure that people are as well informed as they can be to make the best decisions that they can. And the decisions that like, you know, protect their kids and protect Mm -hmm. their family. And sometimes that might mean, you know, one of my kids had an allergic reaction to a vaccine. Can we delay treatment or can we have them done at the hospital? And that might be the conversation they need to have. But, if everyone who's ever heard them say they want to delay the vaccination just kind of shuts that conversation Mm. down, that's, that's meaningless, right? Like it just, it stops everything. It's kind of productive. Yeah.
1: I think this harkens back to conspiracy theories. Can't remember if we talked about this in our conspiracy theories episode to, to believe in a conspiracy theory is not, it's not an, a marker of poor character or judgment, but it is a marker of your environment, um, your past experiences, and a lot of like very reasonable reasons to distrust authority, because, like, historically, authorities have not been so great at keeping their people safe, being truthful like there was a there was that horrific vaccine scandal in in Samoa not long ago
0: two babies died after being given a wrongly mixed
1: vaccination yeah and that kind of stuff happens and like when especially you know as you mentioned before if you're a community where your own people did not have a hand in developing these vaccines do not have a hand in like yep. in the science behind these things or like whatever other conspiracy theory touches on like like if so like
0: if, if we're talking about the pacific islands like this is a bone i continue to pick with a huge amount of medical mm-hmm. researchers often medical researchers and doctors that go over there to work and help and try and make the systems mm-hmm. better don't speak the native languages and they don't make an effort to learn really beyond like Bula, mm-hmm. right like That's not someone. You know what (laughs) I mean? Like, and it's just like, yeah. Of course, they don't trust you. You don't try and speak their language. You're not making an effort to create the human connections that are necessary to like create that trust and means that they'll believe what you say.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. It's just how how powerful learning a native language is, and how powerful that trust can be when when you make that effort. There's a there's a there's a passage in this short story by Ken Liu about an immigrant mother whose child is like, you know, would only speak English. It hits me hard, makes me cry. But his mum in the story is like, when you say, I love you, I feel it in here. And she points to her head. And then she says, when you say, aini, she, I feel it in here. And she points to her heart. And that's the difference that... Speaking in someone's mother tongue makes. Uh, uh, (laughs) uh, Oh my gosh! This this story, I was just like in bed crying for half an hour. Anywho's, what were you gonna say? Mm. (laughs) I
0: think it's an like, and it's an element of cultural engagement as well, right? Like, I'm sure I've talked about this on on the show before, but like, it's been re. It continues to be really jarring the difference between my experience in medical research in New Zealand and medical research and subsequently work in Australia. Mm-hmm. Where in New Zealand, like, of course you'd go to a HUI, of course mm-hmm. you'd like work to get the Komatu to like agree with you and understand what you were doing and make sure that they were okay with all of it. Of course you'd have a multi-person on the ethics committee. Whereas here, like I talked to we had a few labs in my institute that did a lot of work in the pacific islands and whenever they talked about their research they didn't mention any of that and i think about like trips my dad did to samoa when i was a kid because he's a he's a town planner that focuses on environmental Mm -hmm. impact and so he was working with a few chiefs i don't know the Samoan word for komato like in samoa to like talk about what their people needed to sort of best protect their their land and their homes and their livelihoods and you know with upcoming sea level rise and storms and all of that And it's, like, you do, like, the Samoan version of a Hui, right? Mm. Like, you do the things that the native people do because it's their land and they're the people who eventually make the choice. And I think, like, particularly, like, and this is something I've really noticed with Australians, Mm. is, like, it's a bit of a white saviour complex. Oh, yeah. Mm A little bit. (laughs) where it's like you come in from, like, extremely educated, well-off Melbourne or Mm Brisbane or Sydney to teach, like, and, you know, you're here to just help everyone, but you don't meet them on their own land, really. Like, you might travel to the land, but you're not meeting them there. You're still bringing, like, all your old thoughts and expectations and, like, viewpoints from where you've come Mm -hmm.
1: from. Yeah. So there is, like, really something to be said about, like, yes, it is frustrating, as people who are privileged enough to have this education and to like know how these things work to know how science works it, it can be frustrating from our viewpoint to to see this huge rise in anti-vax and like there is there is also something to be said about grifters and people who know that they're lying and are lying anyway and that's that's a different different issue but we as people who are privileged enough to to have this education and knowledge and trust in the system is also a huge privilege we have. We have to do the work to, to first like, acknowledge people and meet them where they are, about their fears that are completely reasonable, about the history that is disastrous and oftentimes cruel. Build that trust first before we do any explanation or reassurance. And most importantly, to be like really honest about what we don't know and honest about the potential for failure and honest about the, the kind of mental calculus that we're all doing in our own heads around risk and reward. It's work that we all got to do. Talk to your family, everyone.
0: (laughs) I just yeah, obviously I'm extremely angry about the MMR autism. Oh my gosh. And all the impacts it's had. Just like there's a lot of people out there who would rather their child die than turn out like me.
1: So much of that is like a misunderstanding of what autism is. And the like the like super problematic media portrayal of autistic peoples and
0: I was thinking about this the other day, that, like, a lot of labels just aren't meaningful. Yeah. So, you know, these the be Asperger's, which was a term used for, like, autism light. Yeah, oh, you know? I didn't know that. And now, like, yeah, yeah, pretty much. And now, like, high-functioning and low-functioning are kind of the terms mm-hmm. used. But they also, like, fundamentally misunderstand that, like, what autism is, is, like, it's a mm-hmm. neurodivergence, brain-wired different. If you put me in a very stressful situation, I might become low-functioning, right? Like you know quote unquote low functioning Mm. and so even like the labels that are used by parts of society that might be more forward-thinking and accepting of autism and neurodivergence aren't useful for explaining and communicating things but you know language is limited and we do our best with it
1: yeah we're all trying our hardest yeah yeah
0: If you're worried about your family and the coronavirus vaccine, particularly if you're worried they might not get it, something you might be able to do is if you sit down with your family members and help them write a list of questions for their doctor, Mm. just sort of saying, like, what do you need to know to be comfortable with this?
1: That's a good approach.
0: I think that would be really, really useful if your family members are at risk, in addition to, like, you know, (laughs) being old, (laughs) as I presume a lot of people's family members are. (laughs)
1: I don't Yeah, statistics, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> there's, just, there's a lot yeah. of people in the world. I guess you're related to some yeah. of them. And, you know, if you can, potentially, like, attending doctor's appointments to kind of help if you're comfortable in that scenario. I've certainly been in the situation before where, like, I've been in the room where a medical professional has been communicating to a relative of mine, and as soon as I'm like, oh, no, I'm, I'm you know, I'm a scientific doctor, but I am, you know, a doctor, my background's in medical research, they suddenly start explaining things properly. <laughs> Which is, I understand why it happens. It's just like, if you can have a shorthand to say, I'll understand the big words, you can go Mm -hmm. for gold. But it's also a shorthand of saying like, I'll just be very comfortable to ask questions when I don't understand Mm -hmm. things. Whereas I think for a lot of people who engage with medical professionals might not be willing to ask questions. Mm. And that's just like, we all have our own relationships with other medical professionals in our lives. And unfortunately there is like, a lot of people who have the relationship where they're afraid to ask questions of those people, and so sort of helping and facilitating that, particularly right now when like <laughs> we rely on the medical professionals in our lives to live, <laughs> facilitating that relationship is only a good thing.
1: I wonder if it's it's a bit different outside of the the countries that have things more under control right now, because I feel I, I definitely feel uh, the pressure to not go to the doctor unless it's an emergency right now to like basically not touch the medical system as much as i can right now just because of how strained
0: it all is even when we first started lockdown 2.0 we were sort of getting like 400 new cases a day in Mm. melbourne which is it's not happening anymore Mm -hmm. so that's good like the messaging even I was getting from my, my GP because I was just like, you know, a lot of my appointments are at the women's mm. hospital where everyone is, you know, suppressed because they're pregnant. Like, I don't want to give them all COVID. Yeah. <laughs> like, and her her emphasis was like, you know, I don't want you to be missing your regular appointments. Still make the appointments. You might have to wait a bit longer, but you need to be continuing with your regular health care. Because mm. like one of the big risks we're going to see from COVID and I think a lot of places are yeah. already seeing from COVID is that people are delaying medical care until their conditions get worse? We're going to see long-term negative health effects from people like not paying attention to medical issues now that they really mm-hmm. needed to. Caveat
1: too that like I uh, don't understand German, <laughs> so I I may be yeah, missing okay. out on like the majority of the the public messaging here. And look, at least you're not in Sweden. Oh goodness, I just can't imagine. I just don't know how they haven't all been fired. Feels like a
0: politician or someone recently who was like, why would we immunise disabled people? They're just going to die. And it's like, thanks.
1: Why go to the doctor at all? Sweden. Why put a Band-Aid on a cut? Why <laughs> Why do anything? We're all going to die. I mean.
0: I love that for just like so long, New Zealand has compared itself to Scandinavian countries mm-hmm. and now we're just quietly yeah. not doing that. Just like
1: we compare ourselves to ourselves now just like sweden i don't know
0: you know who's great
1: Norway, (laughs) finland they're pretty cool i think so when i first was reading up about the new mrna vaccine my first worry was if this thing that is engineered to like cloak itself past our body's defenses so that Our cells would, you know, make the spike protein. Could it make, like, the wrong spike protein or make the bad thing? Like, could it hack our body in a bad way? And that was my first concern.
0: Okay. That's a fair concern to have. The short answer is no.
1: (laughs) I suspected.
0: (laughs) Uh, the The long answer is when you get the vaccine, there'll be lots of copies of the mRNA in there, so even if there's like a little mutation somewhere in it to make it like a slightly different spike mm-hmm. protein, that's kind of fine. There's lots of good copies around and this isn't an infectious element, mm-hmm. right? It's just a bit that makes a protein. It's not something that's going to give you mm-hmm. a disease. The other thing is RNA, RNA technically can alter mm-hmm. DNA. This RNA probably won't slash is really unlikely to because the instances where RNA does alter DNA are very few mm-hmm. and far between So it just kind of, like, goes into the bloodstream, goes into our cells, goop, (laughs) makes a protein, gets digested. Mm -hmm. Like, that is a very fast process. It's also, for something to be approved, it does have to go through all of the safety testing, right? Like, the sort of, like, allowances around COVID approval is that – it's been allowed to be approved while we're still partway through phase three testing. So phase three testing is like efficacy and particularly Mm long-term efficacy, right? So like these vaccines have been approved while we're still in phase three trials. So like, we've got a good idea of efficacy from like when we first started Mm -hmm. phase three, we don't have like an amazing idea of efficacy for 10 years because we didn't have this vaccine 10 years ago. Right. So that's the bit that's been sped up slightly. Is like, we know that it's going to get you this far, We don't know how much longer it'll go. We'll keep updating you, I guess. But if we can do enough to, like, stop this being a Mm -hmm. pandemic, like, that's good. So I don't know if you remember when we were in, like, year seven or year eight, there was a men's B vaccine, so a meningitis B vaccine that came around a bunch of schools. Yeah, I
1: think, yeah, I do remember that.
0: Okay, so what was happening there was that there was a sort of, like, little epidemic of meningitis B starting up. A lot around, like, 11, 12, 13-year-olds. There were all those posters that were like, don't yeah, shoot yeah. it. just It's gross. You'll get meningitis. That vaccine, it doesn't give you lifelong protection. It gives you, like, sort of a year-ish of protection. Mm. But it was enough to stop that from becoming, like, a fully-fledged mm. epidemic. If this vaccine does that, that's probably all we need to get, like, healthcare back on track. Yeah. If this vaccine gives you lifelong protection, even better. that's awesome too, right? Mm. Like, you know, we're sort of – we're trying to fight this battle one step at a time. Yeah. And so even if we get, like, a year protection out of a coronavirus vaccine, it could be an annual thing, like mm. a flu shot, like, and that's fine. That's cool,
1: too. Thank you for for doing yeah. all this.
0: I mean, it, it's it's my pleasure. Like, I love this stuff so much.
1: It is so cool.
0: If you are interested generally in, like, hearing more about vaccines or medical history or science Genetics, in general, yeah. my, my faith podcast for this kind of stuff, <laughs> Sawbones and Science Versus. Mm. Those are probably my two go-tos. I also listen to No Such Thing as a Fish, which is not always science, but they do like fun facts. And I love a fun fact.
1: Fun facts are fun.
0: So I think like our probably like main points that we've hit from this episode are vaccines are groovy. If you have doubts, please talk to a medical professional in your life. Mm. There won't be a microchip in any of the vaccines because microchips are big and vaccines are liquid.
1: I don't know how else to put that. Microchips are really big. <sighs> They're so big. <laughs> it's, it's like a different order of magnitude kind of thing, right? Like when we talk about tiny, tiny microchips fitting onto like the, you know, the, the nail of your pinky finger or, or whatever, that's like small in terms of microchips. But in terms of like molecular machinery. That's huge. Like you think it's about a mic- your body will shit that out so fast. Think about a microchip the
0: size of a grain of rice. And now imagine being injected but by- with a grain of rice. An uncooked grain of rice. Now you're getting it. Uh-huh. <laughs> no thank you. Yeah. Obviously vaccine rollouts are different in every country, but please like with the coronavirus, the COVID nineteen vaccine, like check where you're at and make sure that you get that in as timely a fashion as possible.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Generally, yeah. Love vaccines. Don't love the Swedish government. I think that's the summary of this episode.
1: <laughs> that sounds perfect to me. <laughs> Stay safe. Wash your hands. Yeah, yeah, those are good. Wear, your wear a mask. Wear a mask.
0: Thank you for listening. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. Give us some likes. Give us some stars. Wherever you find us, we, we love your opinions and thoughts. If you would like to share those opinions and thoughts with us, We've got an email, it's castinginterest at gmail.com. We've got a Twitter feed at Casting Interest, and we have a Facebook page, which is Things of Interest. The email is checked the most. So
1: yes. use that
0: knowledge what you will. <laughs> <laughs> I've been Sophia Friends.
1: And I'm Serena Chen.
0: And as always, stay interesting.